Section 6 of The Storm by Daniel Defoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. On the effects of the storm, damages in the city of London, etc. The particular dreadful effects of this tempest are the subject of the ensuing part of this history. And though the reader is not to expect that all the particulars can be put into this account, and perhaps many very remarkable passages may never come to our knowledge, yet, as we have endeavoured to furnish ourselves with the most authentic accounts we could from all parts of the nation, and a great many worthy gentlemen have contributed their assistance in various and some very exact relations and curious remarks so we pretend not to be meanly furnished for this work some gentlemen whose accounts are but of common and trivial damages we hope will not take it ill from the author if they are not inserted at large for that we are willing to put in nothing here common with other accidents of like nature or which may not be worthy of a history and a historian to record them nothing but what may serve to assist in convincing posterity that this was the most violent tempest the world ever saw from hence twill follow that those towns who only had their houses untiled their barns and hovels levelled with the ground and the like will find very little notice taken of them in this account because if these were to be the subject of a history, I presume it must be equally voluminous with Fox, Crimston, Hollingshead, or Stowe. Nor shall I often trouble the reader with the multitude or magnitude of trees blown down, whole parks ruined, fine walks defaced, and orchards laid flat, and the like. And though I had, myself, the curiosity to count the number of trees in a circuit I rode over most part of Kent, in which, being tired with the number, I left off reckoning after I had gone on to seventeen thousand. And though I have great reason to believe I did not observe one-half of the quantity, yet in some parts of England, as in Devonshire especially, and the counties of Worcester, Gloucester, and Hereford, which are full of very large orchards of fruit-trees, they had much more mischief. In the pursuit of this work, I shall divide it into the following chapters or sections, that I may put it into as good order as possible. 1. Of the damage in the city of London, etc. 2. Of the damage in the counties. 3. Of the damage on the water in the Royal Navy. 4. Of the damage on the water to shipping in general. 5. Of the damage by earthquake. 6. Of the damage by high tides. 7. Remarkable providences and deliverances. 8. Hardened and blasphemous contemners, 
both of the storm and its effects. 9. Some calculations of damage sustained. 10. The conclusion. We had designed a chapter for the damages abroad, and have been at no small charge to procure the particulars from foreign parts, which are now doing in a very authentic manner. But as the world has been long expecting this work, and several gentlemen who were not a little contributing to the information of the author, being unwilling to stay any longer for the account, it was resolved to put it into the press without any farther delay. And if the foreign accounts can be obtained in time, they shall be a supplement to the work. If not, some other method shall be found out to make them public. 1. Of the damages in the city of London and parts adjacent. Indeed, the city was a strange spectacle the morning after the storm, as soon as the people could put their heads out of doors, though I believe everybody expected the destruction was bad enough, yet I question very much if anybody believed the hundredth part of what they saw. The streets lay so covered with tiles and slates from the tops of the houses, especially in the out parts, that the quantity is incredible, and the houses were so universally stripped that all the tiles in fifty miles round would be able to repair but a small part of it. Something may be guessed at on this head from the sudden rise of the price of tiles, which rise from twenty-one shillings per thousand to six pounds for plain tiles, and from fifty shillings per thousand for pantiles to ten pounds, and bricklayers labour to five shillings per day, and though after the first hurry the prices fell again, it was not that the quantity was supplied, but because, first, the charge was so extravagant that an universal neglect of themselves appeared both in landlord and tenant, an incredible number of houses remained all the winter uncovered, and exposed to all the inconveniences of wet and cold, and are so even at the writing of this chapter. 2. Those people who found it absolutely necessary to cover their houses, but were unwilling to go to the extravagant price of tiles, changed their covering to that of wood, as a present expedient, till the season for making of tiles should come on, and the first hurry being over, the prices abate. And tis on this score that we see to this day whole ranks of buildings, as in Christ Church Hospital, the Temple, Ast's Hospital, Old Street, Hogsden Squares, and infinite other places, covered entirely with deal boards and are like to continue so perhaps a year or two longer, for want of tiles. These two reasons reduce the tile merchants to sell at a more moderate price, but tis not an irrational suggestion 
that all the tiles which shall be made this whole summer will not repair the damage in the covering of houses within the circumference of the city and ten miles round. The next article in our street damage was the fall of chimneys, and as the chimneys in the city buildings are built in large stacks, the houses being so high, the fall of them had the more power by their own weight to demolish the houses they fell upon. Tis not possible to give a distinct account of the number or particular stacks of chimneys which fell in this fatal night, but the reader may guess by this particular that in Cambray House, commonly so called, a great house near Islington, belonging to the family of the Comptons, earls of Northampton, but now let out into tenements. The collector of these remarks counted eleven or thirteen stacks of chimneys, either wholly thrown in, or the greatest parts of them, at least, what was exposed to the wind, blown off. I have heard persons who pretended to observe the desolation of that terrible night very nicely, and who, by what they had seen and inquired into, thought themselves capable of making some calculations, affirm they could give an account of above two thousand stacks of chimneys blown down in and about London, besides gable ends of houses, some whole roofs, and sixteen or twenty whole houses in the outparts. Under the disaster of this article, it seems most proper to place the loss of the people's lives, who fell in this calamity, since most of those who had the misfortune to be killed were buried or beaten to pieces with the rubbish of the several stacks of chimneys that fell. Of these, our weekly bills of mortality gave us an account of twenty-one, besides such as were drowned in the river and never found, and besides above two hundred people, very much wounded and maimed. One woman was killed by the fall of a chimney in or near the palace of St. James, and a stack of chimneys falling in the new unfinished building there, and carried away a piece of the coin of the house. Nine soldiers were hurt, with the fall of the roof of the guard-house at Whitehall, but none of them died. A distiller in Duke Street with his wife and maid-servant were all buried in the rubbish of a stack of chimneys, which forced all the floors and broke down to the bottom of the house. The wife was taken out alive, though very much bruised, but her husband and the maid lost their lives. One Mr. Dyer, a plasterer in Fetter Lane, finding the danger he was in by the shaking of the house, jumped out of bed to save himself, and had, in all probability, time enough to have got out of the house, but staying to strike a light, a stack of chimneys fell in upon him, killed him, and wounded his wife. 
two boys at one Mr. Purfoy's in Cross Street, Hatton Garden, were both killed and buried in the rubbish of a stack of chimneys, and a third very much wounded. A woman in Jewin Street and two persons more near Aldersgate Street were killed. The first, as it is reported, by venturing to run out of the house into the street, and the other two by the fall of a house. In Threadneedle Street, one Mr. Simpson, a scrivener being in bed and fast asleep, heard nothing of the storm, but the rest of the family being more sensible of danger, some of them went up and waked him, and telling him their own apprehensions, pressed him to rise. But he, too, fatally sleepy, and consequently unconcerned at the danger, told them he did not apprehend anything, and so, notwithstanding all their persuasions, could not be prevailed with to rise. They had not been gone many minutes out of his chamber, before the chimneys fell in, and broke through the roof over him, and killed him in his bed. A carpenter in Whitecross Street was killed almost in the same manner by a stack of chimneys of the Swan Tavern, which fell into his house. It was reported that his wife earnestly desired him not to go to bed, and had prevailed upon him to sit up till near two o'clock, but then, finding himself very heavy, he would go to bed against all his wife's entreaties after which she waked him, and desired him to rise, which he refused, being something angry for being disturbed, and, going to sleep again, was killed in his bed, and his wife, who would not go to bed, escaped. In this manner our weekly bills gave us account of twenty-one persons killed in the city of London, and parts adjacent. Some of our printed accounts give us larger and plainer accounts of the loss of lives than I will venture to affirm for truth, as for several houses near Moorfields leveled with the ground, fourteen people drowned in a weary going to Gravesend, and five in a weary from Chelsea. Not that it is not very probable to be true, but as I resolve not to hand anything to posterity, but what comes very well attested, I omit such relations as I have not extraordinary assurance as to the fact. The fall of brick walls by the fury of this tempest in and about London would make a little book of itself, and as this affects the outparts chiefly, where the gardens and yards are walled in, so few such have escaped. At St. James, a considerable part of the garden wall. At Greenwich Park, there are several pieces of the wall, down for an hundred rods in a place, and some much more. At Battersea, Chelsea, Putney, at Clapham, at Deptford, at Hackney, Islington, Hogsden, woods close by St. John Street, and on every side of the city the walls of the gardens have generally felt the shock, and lie flat on the ground twenty, 
thirty rod of walling in a place. The public edifices of the city come next under our consideration, and they have had their share in the fury of this terrible night. A part of Her Majesty's Palace, as is before observed, with a stack of chimneys in the centre of the new buildings, then not quite finished, fell with such a terrible noise as very much alarmed the whole household. The roof of the guard-house at Whitehall, as is also observed before, was quite blown off, and the great vane or weathercock at Whitehall blown down. The lead on the tops of the churches and other buildings was in many places rolled up like a roll of parchment, and blown in some places clear off the buildings, as at Westminster Abbey, St. Andrew's Holborn, Christ Church Hospital, and abundance of other places. Two of the new-built turrets on the top of St. Mary Aldermary Church were blown off, whereof one fell upon the roof of the church. Of eight pinnacles on the top of St. Albans Wood Street, five of them were blown down. Part of one of the spires of St. Mary Overy's blown off. Four pinnacles on the steeple of St. Michael Crooked Lane blown quite off. The veins and spindles of the weathercocks in many places bent quite down, as on St. Michael Cornhill, St. Sepulchre's, the tower, and divers other places. It was very remarkable that the bridge over the Thames received but little damage and not in proportion to what in common reason might be expected, since the buildings there stand high, and are not sheltered as they are in the streets, one by another. If I may be allowed to give this philosophical account of it, I hope it may not be absurd, that the indraft of the arches underneath the houses, giving vent to the air, it passed there with a more than common current, and consequently relieved the buildings by diverting the force of the storm. I ask pardon of the ingenious reader for this opinion, if it be not regular, and only present it to the world for want of a better. If those better furnished that way will supply us with a truer account, I shall withdraw mine and submit to theirs. The fact, however, is certain that the houses on the bridge did not suffer in proportion to the other places, though all must allow they do not seem to be stronger built than other streets of the same sort. Another observation I cannot but make, to which, as I have hundreds of instances, so I have many more witnesses to the truth of fact, and the uncommon experiment has made it the more observed. The wind blew during the whole storm between the points of southwest and northwest. Not that I mean it blew at all these points, but I take a latitude of eight points to avoid exceptions and to confirm my argument since what I am insisting upon 
could not be a natural cause from the winds blowing in any of those particular points. If a building stood north and south, it must be a consequence that the east side slope of the roof must be the lee side, lie out of the wind, be weathered by the ridge, and consequently receive no damage in a direct line. But against this rational way of arguing, we are convinced by demonstration and experiment, after which argument must be silent. It was not in one place or two, but in many places, that where a building stood ranging north and south, the sides or slopes of the roof to the east and the west, the east side of the roof would be stripped and untiled by the violence of the wind, and the west side, which lay open to the wind, be sound and untouched. This, I conceive, must happen either where the building had some open part, as windows or doors to receive the wind in the inside, which being pushed forward by the succeeding particles in the air, must force its way forward, and so lift off the tiling on the leeward side of the building, or it must happen from the position of such building near some other high place or building, where the wind being repulsed must be forced back again in eddies, and consequently taking the tiles from the lower side of the roof, rip them up with the more ease. However it was, it appeared in many places, the windward side of the roof would be whole, and the leeward side, or the side from the wind, be untiled. In other places, a high building next the wind has been not much hurt, and a lower building on the leeward side of the high one, clean ripped, and hardly a tile left upon it. This is plain in the building of Christ Church Hospital, in London, where the building on the west and south side of the cloister was at least twenty-five foot higher than the east side, and yet the roof on the lower side, on the east, was quite untiled by the storm, and remains at the writing of this covered with deal boards above an hundred foot in length. The blowing down of trees may come in for another article in this part, of which, in proportion to the quantity, here was as much as in any part of England. Some printed accounts tell us of seventy trees in moorfields blown down, which may be true, but that some of them were three yards about, as is affirmed by the authors, I cannot allow. Above a hundred elms in St. James Park, some whereof were of such growth, as they tell us, they were planted by Cardinal Wolseley. Whether that part of it be true or not, is little to the matter, but only to imply that they were very great trees, about bombs, commonly called Whitmore House, there were above two hundred trees blown down, and some of them of extraordinary size, broken off in the middle. And t'was observed that in the morning after the storm was abated, 
it blew so hard the women who usually go for milk to the cow-keepers in the villages round the city were not able to go along with their pails on their heads and one that was more hardy than the rest was blown away by the fury of the storm and forced into a pond but by struggling hard got out and avoided being drowned and some that ventured out with milk the evening after had their pails and milk blown off from their heads tis impossible to enumerate the particulars of the damage suffered and of the accidents which happened under these several heads in and about the city of london the houses looked like skeletons and an universal air of horror seemed to sit on the countenances of the people all business seemed to be laid aside for the time and people were generally intent upon getting help to repair their habitations it pleased god so to direct things that there fell no rain in any considerable quantity except what fell the same night or the ensuing day for near three weeks after the storm though it was a time of the year that is generally dripping had a wet rainy season followed the storm the damage which would have been suffered in and about this city to household goods furniture and merchandise would have been incredible and might have equaled all the rest of the calamity but the weather proved fair and temperate for near a month after the storm which gave people a great deal of leisure in providing themselves shelter in fortifying their houses against the accidents of weather by deal boards old tiles pieces of sailcloth tarpaulin and the like end of section six